You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we present part two of our Brewer's Guide to Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-Earth. Will this unexpected journey yield unexpected playables, or have we dug too greedily and too deep? It's a dangerous business, brewing in modern. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan, and I'm joined today by a beautiful voice, a friendly face, all the way from up north in Canada. It's Zach Manasimble Ryle. Zach, welcome. Well, thanks, Dan. I'm excited to be here. Uh, just uh, coming off the heat of uh, my role as Mr. Owen Hawker. So uh, I'm excited <laughs> from the uh, celebrity that that has uh, awarded me on the recent uh ish episode i love that little bit zach i really i really did and what i love the best about it was that <laughs> i put very little thought and concept into this i was like zach what do you think about this like, it's i have no jokes in it i have just like a very rough idea and zach's like i got it Give me like 10 minutes i got this and like sure enough you know the file appeared in my inbox like moments later <laughs> just spot on as always Great to see you back in the creator studio. Well, I'm happy to indulge uh, the creative uh, ideas of of my peers and my friends. Uh, and uh, that's what we do here on Faithless Brewing as a general aggregate podcast. And what is it that we're tackling this week? Because we're, we're throwing our creative energies at something new. Well, it's Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle Earth. Kind of a... Like an indie film, kind of, kind of bit of a cult following. So they decided to give it a whole set. Yeah, I have no idea anything about this property. Um, much like some of the other things, like Fortnite, that uh, they've decided to uh, throw into the ring. But this is a full, not quite premiere set, but uh, very close. Like this is a high-profile work that is uh, saturated in um, what was it, The Lord of the Rings, something like that. Yeah, I mean it's. Clearly derivative of Lorwyn. Oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's just general high fantasy, I think. So, I mean, I don't know. They're really grasping at this point. Right, because they did Dungeons and Dragons first, right? That was the big one. Uh, and this must be something that's based on that. Uh, it seems like. So, well, we got these cards. Yeah, yeah. We've got some excellent cards to look at. Uh, hopefully, there's a whole bunch of exciting rings. That, that, that would seem to make a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to see. I mean, one ring to rule them all. That car is a little bit overhyped. Like, definitely overpriced. You know, four mana for a 1-1. One, one. I don't see what the big deal is. Mm. But uh, people are paying like a million dollars for this card now. So, <laughs> Oh, 
Oh yeah, you know what? Uh, joking aside, we should we should just talk about the uh, incredible hype machine that has been going for this uh, set that has been linked to the one of one printing of the One Ring. But before we get to that, I really would like to shout out all the wonderful people on Patreon that help this show uh, keep going and stay supported. So if you were thinking of uh, throwing a bid into the ring for the one of one collectible the one rings uh you could take that money and put it to good use assuming that you don't end up winning that bidding by donating to the faithless brewing podcast on patreon.com you'll get access to the discord where we talk about all the newest cards and uh all the wonderful decks that we've ever played such as is it drakes which besides winning a challenge just recently and putting another player into the pioneer top eight uh took dan to the pro tour a little while ago so if you want to be uh, on top of the old technology that's new technology, you can always check out uh, the Discord with Faithless Brewing and see everything that people are talking about, brewing about, and competing with there. And we do have two new patrons that we would like to welcome today. They are AJP and Zach R. Thank you very, very much to those two individuals. Do, is there a second Zach R? <laughs> There is a second Zach R. Or That's is this wild. Perhaps one of your alter egos. I, I don't think so. I really don't. I I usually keep track of my numerous alter egos. There's four <laughs> or five of them that I know of. So uh, I just didn't know there was a second Zach R. Well, welcome, welcome. Owen Hawker, Randy Ritwalla. That's right. Gene Lanamore, and now Zach R. Faithless Brewing fan and patron. And at the recent RC Toronto, I actually met someone who said that they were. Uh, one of the patron patrons at Patreon. So, uh, uh oh, nice. met a real life, actual human fan, which was exciting. And someone else who uh, showed up to play the blue red Chandra turns deck. Um, so a couple of different fans and that was really exciting. Uh, not one person yet has proven to be a jerk. So still waiting on that one, but it'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> oh, that's right. This is your challenge for your first <laughs> fan to come up and just punch you. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into the actual cards in this set, I think it's probably worthy of note just as a time capsule that as of this week, uh, I want to say two or three days ago is the last time I was paying attention. Um, the bids for the one of one printing of the one ring have reached over a million dollars. So for those who are not aware with the Lord of the Rings set. Um, with a couple of the last sets, they've started introducing the idea of serialized printings, right? So they'll print 500 unique cards, and on each one, they will tell you, like, this is one of 500 unique cards, two of 500, and so on and so forth. Um, they've done this on, I think, two or three sets now, and it's a very common thing in the art world, actually. They call them, like, limited editions. Um, for the first time ever... They are doing a one-of-one, one, maybe the last time ever, depending on how this goes, but they are doing a one-of-one one printing of the One Ring, which, in terms of flavor, I mean, that's just a slam dunk, I gotta say. Like, that's very cool. Um, and one of the things that's happening with it right now is a bunch of, uh, let's say, businesses, for the most part, and then celebrities in the magic world have started coming out, putting bids, putting bounties on this one of one ring. So if you open from the Lord of the Rings set, the one of one unique in the universe copy of the one ring, you could sell it to Post Malone or Cassis Marsh or probably some Wall Street investor uh, for upwards of a million dollars. It's really interesting as someone who's listened to all of the episodes of uh, Mark Rosewater's Drive to Work. Um, they actually talked 
as designers and developers of this game back in the 90s about the potential to do something like this. And at the time, the designers and developers were kind of hopefully I would say on mass, but generally against this idea. <laughs> they they knew that they could do something sort of. I, I think at the time they viewed it as predatory, but Dan, I, I don't necessarily view it that way in the current context. What do you think? I thought you were going to say they all had more self-respect back then. So no, they decided not to do that. You know what? Honestly, this has created a lot of really wonderful, positive hype for the game. It's going to be an incredible event when it happens. If it happens, that's the thing. There's always boxes and boxes of product. Uh, that is not open, that is sitting in warehouses. People buy sealed product as quote-unquote investment, and they they sit on it for years. So, I mean, this might not come to see the light of day for a while, but it's just kind of an interesting thing to see this, like, just high level of excitement about this one-of-one thing. Um, I was even able to share with uh, some people who really aren't that interested in magic, but the idea of it was uh, something that was just just kind of universally kind of interesting and exciting for them. My understanding is that specifically sports cards mm-hmm. like have had one of ones for a while, and I don't know really know the history of that, but I always hear that, and I think, oh, those are just random gimmicks. At least this is on flavor. Like, if you're going to do it, this is right the best flavor you can possibly have. Like, what what could be better? Like. Okay, the, the Highlander franchise, there can be only one. You can do another one-of-one for that. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That would be cool. When they do the Highlander, they should. As long as you only do things like that, then, yeah, it, it makes sense. It feels epic. So, I'm okay with this one. Of course, you know, we'll see where what the next one turns out to be. Well, like, it- compare, compare this to the... You know, the magic $30,000 booster sets or whatever. Right, right. This is definitely, in my opinion, a lot more significant and cool where they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to print all this stuff, but it's not real cards. It's like, well, that like, who cares? Like, I don't think that that went over particularly well. But I mean, the the difference between this and the serialized like 500 series, like it's that's so razor thin, right? Like if you're okay with 500 unique printings, but not one, like, what are you doing? Like, let them let them make more chase more unique things that are not mechanically unique uh and that's fine right and i think the community is having fun with this right right like as much as there's the whole collector's aspect and how high will the price tag go right i've also seen like numerous detailed plans for how people would if if they opened it go to this or that volcano or find a few yeah. more somewhere <laughs> <laughs> drop the card into yeah. the molten lava like all right yeah like if, if this is what is the destiny of the one ring so be it like i don't know what cassius marsh wants and, to do and on this. the flip side on the flip side, the really nice thing about it is if you want to play a copy of the One Ring, you will be able to get one. It won't be hard. So as a game piece, it is not uh, unattainable. All right, Zach, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Shoot so me. would you like to get in on the action here? Would you like to offer your own personal bounty for the One of One, the One Ring? Yeah, if someone listening to this uh, opens a copy of the One of One Ring, I will write and perform. To any capacity. Now, you could write it if you want to. I will write, perform, sing, dance, film a music video <laughs> of any song you want into a magic parody, into a Buffy the Vampire Slayer parody. Just you pick a property, you pick a song, you pick a tone. I don't give a sh- 
I will do it. I will record that thing for you. In terms of money, I got nothing to give. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as someone who uh, who makes a reasonable living in music, uh, that's all I got. But uh, I've got talent. Uh, you could check my <laughs> check check my listed works. Check my CV. Okay, so in this scenario, assuming that one of our devoted listeners or patrons opens this and takes you up on the bounty, now you've got the one ring in your hands. What do you do with it? Well, I sell it for a million dollars. Okay, you're not going to wait till your cruise ship contact. Oh no, absolutely some, not! Like volcanic fjords up in the. No, <laughs> no, no, no! I'm selling that for a million dollars. I would try to get Post Malone, Cassius Marsh, and any of the people from Wall Street into a bidding war and see how high I could get them to go uh, through an intermediary. In fact, I don't want to be associated with being the person who actually owned it at that point and being the person who actually sold it. I'm just. Uh, give me the money and I will pay someone a cut to deal and be the middleman and I'm getting a lawyer and I and that's it. I I don't need any of that stuff in my life. I, I saw one of the things was like, yo, we'll fly you to L.A. and you're going to be able to hang with me and the crew and this and that. And I went, no, I'm, I'm good. I just I'll just take the money and run. Amazing. Just like the Steve Miller band told me to do, you know. Amazing. With all that out of the way, with all this nonsense and pop culture and and uh, current day issues out of the way, let's get to these cards because I think we've got quite a number of them. And we're starting off, as we always do, with the lowest mana value. We're starting with some lands. And we've got a banger right off the bat. We've got the Great Hall of the Citadel, Dan. What can you tell me about this card? <laughs> Are we talking about the same card here? This is a banger. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. I mean, what was the um, interplanar beacon that that has been a, a multi-format played True. that has been played <laughs> True. in multiple formats? I don't know why this one doesn't gain you any life. You tell me. Great Hall of the Citadel land taps for a colorless mana or pay one and tap to add two mana in any combination of colors. Spend this mana only to cast legendary spells. So that's the parallel to interplanar beacon, which taps for planeswalker mana mm -hmm. this allows you to build some kind of all legendaries deck uh, we just got the card plaza of heroes from one of the most recent sets that mm -hmm. also taps for any color to cast legends yeah i mean i'm not personally seeing a deck when i look at this but that is how i would use it so i wouldn't rule this out as a relevant card Agreed. And uh, as we mentioned in the notes here, this works for Planeswalkers. This works for Legendary Creatures. It even works for Legendary Sorceries. And as of this set, Legendary Instance. Um, so Legendary Anything. Uh, most of those things have colors associated them with them. But if you wanted to play a Legendary Colored Artifact, there must be at least one. I think that was it the Interplanar Anchor. Uh, you could use it for that. Oh, okay. Yeah, Legendary Anything. But next up, there is a severely, uh, let's say, talked about, exciting card uh, for the world of actual constructed magic. It's Stern Scolding. So we have a blue instant uh, for a single blue mana. Counter target creature spell with power or toughness, two or less. I actually got to see uh, Aspiring Spike tell his story about the fact that he was consulted uh, for the uh, development of this set uh, almost two years ago, something within that realm, uh, as is normal for Wizards development. And uh, he 
specifically asked this card uh, instead of just being counter target creature spell with power two or less to be adjusted for power or toughness two or less. So it would counter Luris. Uh, Dan, how do you think that that stern scolding is going to play against Luris in most formats? I think it's going to render Luris unplayable in modern and I okay. hate to see it because <laughs> that was just a cool, fun card that really brought a, a nice balance to the minigame balance to the force. What about Stern Scolding? Well, it's, I mean, it's priced fairly. Yeah. This could, in theory, be a playable card. I do not think it will see any play. I'm trying to imagine, like, a comparable card that we do play, like Spell Snare. I mean, this could get you a huge mana advantage. It can technically counter a Solitude, but it, it cannot counter Fury or Endurance. No, but it gets Grief and Ragavan. So Ragavan, Grief, Solitude. I mean, that's about it, right? Um, I mean, there's got to be others. Uh, Yogmoth would be a blowout. That'd be a good one. Um, or actually, a lot of creatures in that deck. All their mana dorks, Wall of Roots. Um, what's the name? Uh, the Strangle Root Geist and the Young Wolf. Both of those with Undying. They'll go. They'll hit the bin. I think an interesting way to look at this card is uh, like as if it was an early game removal spell. Which you know, obviously, counter magic and removal are are a little bit different. Um, one you have to have ready on the moment, one you can have after, but there are a lot of creatures that have incidental value as soon as they hit the table. I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a good number of these played across the formats uh, for the next little while. Well, it would be the first of its kind, right? Like there are many little subfamilies of counter spells, and yeah. this belongs to the remove soul subfamily. Yes. And the only card in that family that has ever seen play is subtlety, which also has planeswalkers. Yeah, but this is also the only one that costs one. True, right. That's a big difference. It's a big, big difference. Yeah, but if we're talking about, like, you get 50% off of an unplayable, it still might not get there. I don't know. That's It's tricky. But if I hear you right, you're saying we should actually do the work and count how many targets there is for each deck. I would. I, I mean, and, and more to the point, uh, maybe this ends up being more in the spell snare category where it gets played oftentimes as a one-of. Um, but with a card like Snapcaster Mage, which there is another card to talk about in reference to Snapcaster mm. Mage a little later on, uh, maybe there's an uptick. Uh, maybe it is in a small number. But uh, maybe there's an uptick in the playability of things like this. Next card up belongs to a cycle that you and Emmy already discussed. Um, we're talking about the basic land cyclers. The black member is the Troll of Casa Doom. Five and a black for a 6-5 troll. Cannot be blocked except by three or more creatures, so more or less unblockable. Ultra Menace. Ultra Menace, <laughs> and it has Swamp Cycling 1. Now... The first two that we talked about, what was it, the green and red, mm -hmm. I think we were just imagining some kind of living end, and you could you could say the same about this, and I think you and Moore made a good case why the existing living index will probably not play these cards. Well, I don't think we did, but that is an interesting point. Mm. Oh, maybe I misheard you. Looking at this troll, right, it's a little bigger, right, it hits a little bit harder, so I could see myself actually playing this. I'm also wondering if there's some weird thing with... You know, it can specifically get the card Witch's Cottage, which card is not super good, but it does play with Calibrated Blast and Avatar. What is that card? Shadow of Mortality. 
mm-hmm. the fair calibrated blast die. That's true. That's true. Um, there's also reasons to otherwise, you know, get Witch's Cottage. Witch's Cottage, the more you can um, plan on it being in your hand by turn four, the more powerful things you get to do with it. In fact, just today, I lost against Davius Minimus playing a Vesuvian doppelganger Emrakul list. Uh, now that was using congregation at dawn, but if you have oh, consistent, <laughs> yeah, but if you have the consistent ability to access a witch's cottage, uh, all of a sudden you can do some pretty funky things. So not to be written off, the whole cycle is worth remembering. Uh, even the next one, which is the one that Island cycles, despite the fact that mystic sanctuary is banned. Yeah. And uh, Vesuvian Drifter, Drifter is the card. Vesuvian oh, thank Drifter. you. Vesuvian Drifter, not Doppelganger. The original one was the Doppelganger. Yeah, and we understand you can, any black fetch can get the Witch's Cottage, so I'm not saying this revolutionizes the deck or anything like that. But it oh, no, no, I mean, but that puts it, that puts yeah. it directly into play. This puts it into your hand. That's a different dynamic. Um, right, right. Yeah, I mean, is it, is it a huge hit? No, but it's something. The next card up was Lorien Revealed, which is a three blue blue sorcery, draw three cards, and it has island cycling for one. So again, more in the kind of draft card range of things, but the cheapest, uh, the the best in class land cycler for island. It's very, very similar to Boon of the Wishgiver. Mm-hmm. Six mana, sorcery, draw four, cycling for one. So mm-hmm. here, you would only play this if you specifically wanted to like count it as a land, mm-hmm. which you can't really do with Boon of the Wishgiver. So at least it's nice they're giving us these options. I don't think I would try to build around this, but it is a new option to have. Um, and nice that they made one member of the cycle be a different card type, you know, so you can play it. With yeah, your... I, was, I was actually really surprised to see that. I thought they were all going to be creatures just like in Scourge. Next up, we have three cards that, for me, really raise the question of, like, how much is the ring tempting you supposed to be worth, right? How much are they costing this as when they're, you know, assigning mana values to these cards? These are three one-mana effects that are all very small and all have the clause, the ring tempts you. So in blue, you can have a birthday escape. It's a single blue sorcery. (laughs) Draw a card. The ring tempts you. In red, you can have a shock called Ranger's Firebrand. Red for a sorcery, two damage to any target, the ring tempts you. And in black, you can have a two mana instant, Golem's Bite. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. Then from your graveyard, you can pay four mana total, exile the Golem's Bite, and the ring tempts you. So what do you make of these, Zach? I mean, it, it is it is incredible to see the consistency with which these are not anywhere close to being best in class, right? Uh, instant speed blue draw card is not good enough. Instant speed red shock is not good enough. And then, of course, with Golem's Bite, the black instant minus two minus two, while that is technically on rate, that there is a card that does that. I forgot the name of it. It's some standard play. Mm. It doesn't actually tempt you as part of the resolution. You have to spend an extra three in a black. For me, personally, so far, being tempted by the ring is not a mechanic I'm interested in any way, shape, or form in playing or trying to build around. I mean, I'll do it if that's what we're going to do, but these are all misses for me. They seem great for limited and casual constructed, and that's kind of it. The black one, especially, like, three and a black, exile from your graveyard, the ring tempts you, activate only as a sorcery. That really seems like... That did not need to be that expensive. That's that's crazy to me. That's really expensive. I'm just trying to think through exactly what you get from Ring Temptation. So there's 
four levels of ring temptation, right? And that's right. All four of them only help you if you attack with a creature. Yes. Three of the four only grant evasion to the creature, basically. Yes. Right? Like the skulk, the ed, you know, life loss, second creatures. The opponent can just opt out of all that by not blocking your creature. The only one that is like tangible card advantage is the second ability, which is draw one, discard one. And I guess making a legend. Um, then you have the, the separate cards that trigger when you get tempted. So there's that's a whole different discussion. But just by itself... Yeah, the, the the ring tempting you in a vacuum without other cards that care about the ring tempting you, that that to me is just not anything interesting or exciting. I mean, turning your ring bearer into looter is something, right? And it is an attack trigger, so it's a looter scooter, which is... Yeah. Yeah. Put the ring in the chopper and <laughs> get it out of here. Well, the, the ring is fine. It's just being tempted by it that seems to not work so well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on to a card that seems designed for Constructed, we have the Stone of Eric. Okay. Stone of Eric. Who can forget the classic moment in Lord of the Rings when they go to the Stone of Eric? Yeah, it's almost as good as, uh, what's, what's her name? Goldberry? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, but the Stone of Eric is a single mana generic legendary artifact. If a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. Two mana, tap, sacrifice, stone of Eric. Exile target uh, player's graveyard, draw a card. So on one hand, we get one of the cheapest ever best-in-class versions of, uh, what do we call it? Uh, the Dean of the Vein. Um, no, Dothy <laughs> Voidwalker. No, uh, I, I don't know exactly which is the root uh, naming yeah. for this i guess it's kalitas right oh yeah kalitas Valentine, yeah. yeah 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 um uh, trade or forget um and on the flip side we get a slightly overcosted relic of progenitus which is not bad um and this is actually targeted it doesn't hit you um certainly a reasonable urza's saga target um or sideboard card with karn um so this will definitely see play mm-hmm on the flip side, I don't know how much um, it's it's certainly going to be in the roster. Um, if you are a Karn deck, the chances of you caring about the first clause, if a creature an opponent controls would die exile instead, is certainly reasonable. Uh, and then the second half kind of folds into that nicely. So if you're against a deck specifically like, I don't know, Yogmoth, um, this is a great card to have um it's also a cheap and effective way to shut down your opponents um uh let's call it the the black red elementals evoke deck the scam deck as many people call it um this one definitely sort of blanks all of those cards for them um but you have to be on the play if unless you're trying to you know slow roll it but uh, it seems fine it's definitely going to see some play and speaking as a as a crabvine expert, oh, I'd no. like to t- tell everyone <laughs> that Stone of Eric is completely unplayable, and mm, you should mm-hmm. just throw it out and put it in your bulk bins. Yeah, I own I own four Venge vines, and I have to agree with you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I haven't played them yet in a tournament, but at some point I will. Hopefully, alongside its best friend uh, Ledger Shredder. If you need like proxy soul rings, you can just write on these, flip it or rip it or whatever. We we don't need this card. Right. Right. Well, it's an uncommon. It, that's why it's so garbage. Exactly. You don't pay attention to uncommons. They don't make it in constructed. On to two mana. 
yeah, yeah. We've got a really exciting card here. It's Samwise Gamgee. So uh, this is one of the most talked about cards in the set so far uh, for a very specific reason. So we've got a green-white legendary creature for green and a white halfling peasant. Whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, create a food token and also sacrifice three food tokens. Return target historic card from your graveyard to your hand. Um, the reason that this is seeing some amount of discussion is if you have Samwise Gamgee, if you have a cauldron familiar, and you have a um, uh, costless sacrifice outlet, mm-hmm. you can uh, infinitely bring back the cat and immediately kill your opponent on the spot. Viscera Seer or Carrion Feeder, anything like that. Uh, Nantuko Husk, if you're an old guy like me. Uh, but anything that is uh, that doesn't tap, that is just sacrifice a creature, get an output, uh, will result in a kill with Samwise and the Cauldron Familiar. And depending on the game state, the Cauldron Familiar can even start in your graveyard. Okay, so that's a three-piece combo, but, you know, the Cauldron Familiar is a, is a proven card. It's not quite a modern staple, but we know this card is very deadly. Samwise generates food, and we know that in modern, specifically, food is quite cheap. We've seen plenty of games where the cookbook has just been pumping out food turn after turn, so it's not out of the question to just have that core, and Samwise even gives you a really nice thing to do with the extra food with the second ability, sack three foods, rebuy any historic card. Yeah, that can pick up an Underworld cookbook, Asmorano, Mardika, Dyson, and Kuldakar. Uh, I mean, historic is broad. Artifacts, legendaries, and sagas. That includes Urza's saga. So really, this very quickly, mm. to me, uh, has me brewing in an Abzan space. Um, just yeah. because all the things that are good that want to go with this combo exist in that space. And of course, you want to play things like Traverse the Ulvenwald so you can tutor up your missing pieces or perhaps a Finale of Devastation. Is it Devastation? That uh, you can use to tutor up uh, mm. Asmora. So, yeah. um, or you can use it to tutor up the missing combo pieces. Yeah, Ultra Dementia comes to mind here. That's your free sack outlet that is Absolutely. also a historic card. You yep. can use it to mill yourself to find your Cauldron Familiar. So that's like the combo angle. What do you think about using Samwise in the same way that people were using uh, Lonus Cryptozoologist? Well, Lonus Cryptozoologist, yeah, uh, kind of uh, deemed itself in the realm of what I would refer to as unplayable. Um, so if if you're trying to do that kind of thing, I don't uh, recommend it. Uh, I played a lot of Lonus and I did not do a lot of winning based on the uh, contributions of Lonus. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that. Yeah, it's just not quite good enough, if I may. Like, it, because it was it was one of those things where it's like, okay, here's my two mana legendary creature that then needs other things to happen for it to be valuable, but not winning valuable, just grindy valuable. The nice thing about Samwise is besides the fact that it can be grindy valuable, and you could play this when you have food and then immediately use that food because it's not a tap ability. There's a whole bunch of reasons why this is vastly superior to Lonus, I would say. So you will or you won't be putting Academy Manufacturer and Samwise into the same deck? Ooh, I hadn't even thought about that part, but that is certainly something you can do. And if we're brewing in the Abzan space, all of a sudden you get to play on Earth and all of the things we've talked about cost three or less. And uh, now, now you're cooking with propane. Hmm. 
All right, next up, Moria Marauder. There's a Ooh. goblin. This is an actual goblin. Mord? <laughs> Mord? Where is he? Where's Where's Mord? Mord? <laughs> we have an actual Emmy goblin. Emmy Sagasti, I summon you. No, but really, uh, we've got a, a uh, red red for a 1-1 one, one goblin warrior with double strike. Hold on. Is it every time this deals damage to your opponent, do you get to put a goblin for free from your hand into play? Well, no. Instead, whenever a goblin or orc you control deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of your library, you may play that card this turn. So it's like uh, red red 1-1 one, one double strike double ragavan for you, but without treasures. Um, you only get to play the card this turn, so the ragavan comparison is somewhat fair. Um... But it's whenever a goblin or orc you control. So it's not just this one. It makes your whole board uh, draw cards off your deck. And honestly, that seems a little scary. In Pioneer right now, there's a reasonable Rakdos Goblins deck that is uh, playing things like Skirk Prospector and uh, Runvelt Horde Master and a bunch of other goblins that you can sort of cycle through and have sort of combo style turns. Uh, I played multiple versions of this in Modern, and uh, this may be a powerful contributor to that deck, or it may be forgotten because it's a 1-1, so it gets pinged by Ren 6. Who knows? Yeah, I can't believe Emmy's not here for this. I think it really does come down to what does a specific build of like modern goblins need mm -hmm. right now it's definitely powerful enough it's yeah. powerful enough even though you need to have your mana available right so it's not like turn two it's not going to help you right but turn three but it also doesn't have haste right like it's not like you play it and then it immediately attacks and then you go oh no i, I can't spend any mana on this y yeah it's uh i mean it, I would say it's in its own way it's comparable to um goblin recruiter uh, the four drop two two haste when it enters the battlefield. You look at the top four and you get to take any number of goblins in your hand. Like that can draw you two or three cards by entering the battlefield. This one can draw you two cards by connecting, um, and it does let you play lands. Right, like it's not limited to only goblin cards or you know. And it, again, it affects all your other goblins like that. You ugh. post combat, you could be doing a lot of stuff. Agreed. Next up, another fan favorite. Boy, I could not wait for them to reveal this card. It's Lotho, Corrupt Sheriff. Yeah. My favorite scene was that one where <laughs> Lotho um, was commented on by Pippin, who said, whatever is wrong in the Shire, Lotho will be at the bottom of it. Comma, or colon, you could be sure of that. Yep. Isn't Lotho the one who went to the Stone of Erech and like forge some other ring or something <laughs> yeah definitely dan i okay. sure know about that part <laughs> my favorite yeah uh but this is black and white for a legendary creature halfling rogue uh whenever a player casts their second spell each turn you lose one life and create a treasure token it's actually quite a powerful effect um it's kind of got that ledger shredder mm. clause where it triggers off of both players playing their second spell. Although each player playing their second spell makes us lose life. That uh, seems dangerous, but the payoff of a treasure is pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I mean, ledger shredder is kind of the only comparison. And then one of the reasons that card was underestimated was because we just had not been asked to track that before. Right. 
Like, how often does any player cast two spells in a turn? Turns out they do it all the time, and sometimes you just, you literally cannot help but trigger their Ledger Shredders, mm-hmm. and they can trigger theirs every turn. So the same would hold true for Lotho. Is drawing and discarding more or less powerful than the treasure token from Ragavan? Like, some would say the treasure is scarier, right? So this is actually extremely scary, and I think it's actually a very clever design to put this life loss drawback on here so that it's actually quite a thinker. Yeah, and also the fact that it's legendary, like, you can't put two or three of them into play, right? So you have to be careful how many copies uh, you play. Um, well, I'm not saying dang, but I'm saying, like, this is... This is something, and it, I. Anyone who tells me that this is definitely a commander card, I hear you. Uh, I don't agree with you, but I hear you. Um, this definitely has some kind of potential impact. The problem for me is what kind of white black deck in modern is the format we're going to talk about that uh, this card is legal in. What kind of white black deck is going to play this? I have no idea. Uh, if it were mono white or mono black i could give you answers but black white that's a reach so there's a couple places in this set where the the legendary theme gets kind of annoying to me as like as a constructed player <laughs> a card like lotha was one where like yeah it's not obviously broken let me have multiples in play this next card as well seems like it would be a sweet build around but it's legendary and like i don't see why it needs to be legendary from a constructed power level standpoint. Sure. So talking here about flowering of the white tree, a legendary enchantment. So you can't even make this commander. Like who cares if it's legendary, <laughs> but it's, it's white, <laughs> well, white the, for the land we were talking about. It can give you white and, um, a, a different color. Correct. You are correct. To not cast this with, cause it can't give you white, white legendary enchantment, white, white legendary creatures. You control get plus two plus one and have ward one. Non-legendary creatures you control also get plus one, plus one. So everybody benefits. One-sided anthem. Uh, we would call this a crusade back in the day, but now we call it an anthem. Mm-hmm. A double anthem for your legends, plus this ward clause. Like, this is by far the most generous anthem effect. The cheapest. It's really priced to move. I think that's exciting specifically because there are no playable anthems in modern. So, like, if you want to give me some reason to care about this you gotta juice it and they juiced it so i'm happy they did that i'm a little bit less happy that i can't have two in play i just can't believe you would go after force of virtue like that that's that was savage how dare you we squandered a lot of (laughs) a lot of tickets and credibility on that (laughs) well hold on i brought up at one point force of virtue was a very playable card for about two weeks Uh, no, but I, I understand what you're talking about. And, uh, maybe this actually belongs in the force of virtue deck because then you could exile excess copies of it to free cast your force of virtues. Yeah. You know what though? I'm with you. Uh, it's an interesting conundrum. I will say uh, it is white, white, which to me immediately leads me to like, oh, it's two devotion pips. Maybe there's some kind of way to play this with a Nykthos shell um take advantage of the fact that it is uh kind of priced to move as you said and force of virtue also has two white pips and is a permanent so um not saying that you should do this not saying you can do this not saying this is playable but that's where my brain starts going as a brewer looking in brewing space all right zach do you have any interest in a red meat hook massacre Ooh, 
I mean, I don't have any interest in a black meat hook massacre, but uh, in red, we have spiteful banditry coming soon. Uh, X red red for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, it deals X damage to each creature. Whenever one or more creatures your opponents control die, you may create a treasure token. This ability triggers only once Oh, each turn. That. Oh, I was so excited when you said uh, red meat hook massacre. And then when I read the clause about treasures. I was even more excited. And then we hit that stumbling block of recent magic development, and I'm not mad about it, but I'm a little disappointed, let's say. Uh, This ability triggers only once each turn. So what do I have to say about this? I have no idea. Uh, Again, two red pips makes me think of devotion. Not that you have to, but it is suggestive to me that you want to play it in a more committed red deck. You know, this is not a, a weekend red deck you know this is a fully committed full-time red deck uh i yeah i don't i don't know what to think about this play an enchantment that functions as like a semi like rolling thunder that seems very niche to me um and with the upside being that you get to create a treasure each turn ish like when you're killing stuff it screams sideboard card and then it screams why right i don't know what to do with that yeah, I guess part of what makes Meat Hook so powerful in the context of Standard, for example, is that you can control whether it triggers every turn, right? Like, it triggers off your own things dying. Mm-hmm. You'll only get half the benefit, but you'll at least get something. Spiteful Banditry, you may just never get anything out of this. Right? You can't really force them to play creatures for you to kill. So, in that sense, yeah, maybe it's just too narrow. Although, it does seem very powerful. Yeah, I mean, I would say that there are some people who have some crazy, crazy Forbidden Orchard brews uh, that would disagree with you about whether or not you could force your opponent to have things for you to kill. But yeah, Mm. generally speaking, if you want to play Forbidden Orchard and uh, Illness in the Ranks uh, alongside your (laughs) Spiteful Banditry, now we're cooking, right? (laughs) All right, Zach. So once upon a time, there was a card called Lingering Souls that Mm -hmm. was a modern staple lingering souls ban and standard well, no block constructed <laughs> exactly three to cast two to flashback and it gave you flying spirit tokens today you can get a shadow summoning that's white black sorcery so that's two mana total creates two tapped one one white spirit creature tokens with flying what do you think are you buying at this price oh again um we're in a color combination that doesn't thrill me um Again, there was already a card. So I I don't know if you remember this. Uh, I certainly told the story before. When I came back to playing Constructed Magic, it was in that wonderful time in Modern where there was a a really fair deck called uh, Mardu Pyromancer. And that deck Mm -hmm. legitimately played four copies of Lingering Souls with the idea being that you almost never actually cast it for the two and a white casting cost. You would use one of your other effects in the deck to discard it, say Faithless Looting, rest in peace, uh, to put it into your graveyard and get the extra value from casting it for one and a black. Shadow Summoning does not have that potential and in addition requires white-black from the outset. Um... I'm really excited for the people who continue to play black, white tokens uh, in any format. Congratulations. Here's your new (laughs) staple. Uh, But I don't actually know if this competes with anything that they were maybe already playing. Um, 
one's a tough sell for me. Being a sorcery and putting them into play tapped versus something just like raise the alarm, putting in two one one soldiers. Yeah, ugh, that's that's a tough sell for me. Um, we are getting a lot of these printings of like two mana sorceries that create two one one tokens of type X. Uh, for me, this one's a miss and a big one. The fact that it's two colors, the fact that they're tapped, the fact that they're flying is exciting, but man, I don't know. I wouldn't think that it would be a crazy ask for them to be both untapped and for this card to be an instant for the fact that it costs white black. Exactly. I, I would like to know why this is not an instant. And I feel like aspiring spike, he has something to do with this. And I would like to know why did he discover the, the secret to white black tokens and then he realized that he had to make this a sorcery to hold that deck in check. If I am ever like, you know, make a wish or whatever, my, my last dying wish, I will ask Aspiring <laughs> Spike this question. I have to know why does Shadow Summoning have two drawbacks? Well, what, are, what do you know that we don't know about this card? Maybe at some point it said elemental and that I could believe because there's a lot more elemental synergies that make a card that puts two elemental tokens into play at instant speed broken. But this ain't it for me. Yeah, this ain't it, dog. And with that, we go on to three mana. Oof, getting up there. In the three drops, we have Theoden King. Theoden, the king of Rohan. One red-white legendary creature, human noble. Whenever Theoden, king of Rohan, or another human enters the battlefield under your control, target creature gains double strike until end of turn. Theoden's stats are 2-3. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, I mean, the fact that it's legendary is... I mean, obviously it has to be legendary as it is Theoden. Um, but uh, generally speaking, it's not too bad. The only problem with it is like as a one shot uh, effect, it's not that great. And I know it says Theoden or another human. So then you could play Theoden, then play another human and then start getting more triggers. But then the actual two, three body, it's just not good enough um, where you could play. What, what is it called? Like Blade Master? I'm sure you know the name of this card better than I do, but it's a four white red hybrid for a oh, two yeah. three that gives all attacking creatures you control double strike. I just don't think it compares to that. Blade Historian. Blade, Blade Historian. Historian. Thank you. Yeah, that's absolutely the correct name. But that's a four drop, though. I, yeah, I understand that. But this one, it doesn't give your whole team the bonus. It is itself a two three. It doesn't even have haste. If this had haste, it might be a little bit more in contention for me, but. I think this is a miss. It's a close miss, but it's not, it's just not enough. Alas, that these evil days should be mine. Mm-hmm. All right. Next up, Flame of Anur. Okay, this is exciting. So um, this is something that uh, Gandalf says to the Balrog as he's fighting it, uh, I believe. <laughs> he says, Flame of Anur. <laughs> yeah, dark fire will not avail you. Um, I'm pretty sure that's that's in there somewhere. Uh, please correct me uh, if I'm wrong. But more importantly, what is this card? It is uh, one blue red for an instant. So converted mana cost three. Choose one. If you control a wizard as you cast this spell, you may choose two instead. One target player draws two cards. Two destroy target artifact. Or three deal five damage to target creature. So if we have a wizard, this is aggressively costed. 
dealing five damage to target creature, drawing two cards at instant speed, and then potentially destroying target artifact. Now, even if we don't have a wizard, it's not awful. Um, one of the most popular modes of Archmage's Charm is, of course, draw two cards. And that is much more restrictive color-wise at blue, blue, blue. Um, the question is, for me, the, the biggest question is one of the clear, useful modes and one of the things that made Archmage's Charm as playable as it was when it was, was the fact that it was both a one-shot counterspell and... Uh, a divination, an instant speed divination. This one cannot be counterspell, but it can be a five damage to target creature burn spell. And it can be two things if you have a wizard in play. So um, some playable wizards of note, um, Snapcaster Mage, uh, Nimble Obstructionist, uh, the list, I, I could go on. I, cho I will choose not to. Um, both of these cards clearly seen in many uh, competitive results as of late. Yeah, I agree. This is probably one of the better, more exciting cards for modern in the set. A few minor notes that make this more playable than it would be otherwise. First, you only have to control the wizard when you put this onto the stack. Mm -hmm. They can't stop it by, you know, bolting your wizard in response. You'll still get your two modes. Mm -hmm. Second, even though two of the three modes require an enemy target, like destroy artifact or deal five to a creature, you do have the option to just use the draw two modes. Mm -hmm. Even if you have a wizard and you just want to draw two, you can. There's no, there's no penalty. You don't have to kill your own wizard there. Mm -hmm. They can, if you choose to play the Snapcaster Mage, target the flame in your graveyard to flash it back. They do have a window to kill the Snapcaster there to deny you the second mode. Right, when it's targeted. Just be aware of that. But I do think this is one of the few cards that I see it and I'm like, yeah, okay, let's just try it. I don't know if it's going to be good, but... There's <laughs> plenty of wizard cycling cards. <laughs> you you will you will definitely see this card being played. It will happen. There's that Omen Hawker wizard cycling deck. That, oh baby, uh, Felix Slew made twelfth uh, place in a modern challenge with that. That's right. Now the only thing we need to do is get Jacob Comiskey back here to play oh. this in uh, Blue Moon. All right. Next up, we have another card that I think is really really sweet. I don't know if it's good, but it's it's so sweet. Talking here about the File of Galadriel, legendary artifact, three mana. It taps for one mana of any color. We call that a manolith. But it has two additional abilities, both static texts. If you would draw a card while you have no cards in hand, you draw two cards instead. Also, if you would gain life while you have five or less life, you gain twice that much life instead. So some echoes of Alhamaret's archive, but, um, or maybe like Vidalcan Orrery. I don't know. <laughs> if we choose, uh... yeah, that's something. Uh, yeah. I mean, this doesn't seem awful to me, uh, for the average modern player, for the average, um, I want to refer to Karn, the great creator a lot, uh, especially for these legendary artifacts. I would say there's no way that this is anywhere near as good as Bottle Cloister. Um, I, I don't see a place where someone's actually excited to play this card. And I'm someone who, if this was exciting to play in that kind of deck, I would be telling you. Uh, I've been playing Prison Tron recently, and I really enjoyed that deck. Um, that is the kind of modern deck where I could see this being played. I think that's a very unfair comparison. That's like, fair. Bottled Cloister. What? <laughs> that's it, so much mana. It's four. It has drawbacks. It it's has four. It draws you an extra card every turn. 
this is three and it gives you one back right okay away. plus it gives okay. you extra mana so okay. it, like the manolith is sort of playable by itself all right so 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 if i were to imagine a place where i actually was excited to play this card i think it would have to be some kind of like lanwar elf utopia sprawl deck because then you could accelerate it on turn two it would set you up for a five drop on turn three and it would pay you off for emptying your hand quickly is that a fair uh, assessment of a, a deck where you might want to play more than one copy of this that sounds like the kind of deck where you would play it be a little bit excited and then be disappointed with the results i think to really make this thing do something special do something that no other card can do you have to trigger that top ability multiple times in one turn which bottle clayster cannot do right bottle clayster at most draws you an extra card a turn ah i see okay the file does not say that right so right right the scenario you want here is you start the turn empty-handed mm-hmm. so your draw step you draw two one card yep then you do something what it was like a rummage you discard and draw you got to empty out your hand and draw again mm-hmm. and then you get the file again okay okay now you've drawn two cards that turn and uh gosh i don't know what it would be now you underworld cookbook and cycle something you draw two cards again like i'm not really sure yeah yeah, yeah. but interesting so any static text you have in play that says draw discard let's say merfolk looter literally merfolk looter right if you have no cards in hand you can activate that draw two discard one that's big game every single one of those effects is draw two discard one now as long as you're empty-handed that's not bad uh, blood tokens come to mind like yeah yeah there you go blood tokens yeah yeah, yeah. suddenly discard one draw two mm-hmm. um, i mean that you're definitely selling me on this being playable um the trick about it is like <laughs> when you're saying blood tokens when you're saying things like that that makes me think of a fair deck and when i think of how exploitable this is i suddenly want to play it in an unfair deck and i just mm, i'm not hundred percent sure that you can do that yeah i don't want to you to leave this conversation thinking that i'm saying it's playable i'm no, not saying it's playable I'm, I'm saying that it's sweet and that it's unique and that it actually has a uniquely powerful angle that we haven't seen before so no no it's not playable it's surprisingly playable it's many marks higher than you think it is on first blush now whether or not that actually clears the bar of being playable in a constructed <laughs> format well we'll let the uh we'll let history decide that all right how about uh speaking of surprisingly playable can i interest you in galadriel the lady of lothlorien you always can. I love that scene where she scared the hell out of me, uh, where she was telling me she'd be a terrible, beautiful queen or something like that. But she is uh, for one green blue, a legendary creature elf noble. Uh, she's a three, three. And whenever the ring tempts you, if uh, you would choose a creature other than Gladril Lothlorien as your ring bearer, scry three. Whenever you scry, you may reveal the top card of your library. If a land card is revealed that way, put it onto the battlefield tapped. Um, Risen Reef vibes coming from that ability there. Hmm. Yeah, and that's like one of the more dangerous aspects of Risen Reef too, putting lands into play. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely want to play some copies of opt with this maybe maze mind tome uh okay so that's it right like the top ability about whenever the ring tempts you i kind of just want to ignore that part right so i don't i don't think that's very good but the second part whenever you scry you get a land mm-hmm. 
Um, well, you, you maybe get a land. <laughs> maybe you get a land. Maybe you don't. Right. And <laughs> when you, oh, I'm, uh, how does this work? And I'm a judge, so I'm trying to figure. So whenever you scry, so you scry. And then I think you get to choose if the top, the card goes top or bottom. And then her trigger resolves. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're resolving this Galadriel after you've finished rearranging the top. Right, what I'm saying is, if it's not a land, you can put it on the bottom and have a better shot at having this reveal a land. However, it's a, if it's a card you really want to draw, you leave it on the top and then you you don't reveal the, the card that you just looked at. So, it's... I, mm. The trouble is... So they gave you all these scry payoff cards, like scry matters is a theme in this set for the elves. And you guys talked about one last week, right? Mm -hmm. You and Emmy described the councils, something or other that whenever you scry, you get to draw a card for free. It's so sad because I went looking for the scry cards in modern to see like which playable modern cards incidentally scry. And there's nothing. There's literally no cards that are currently seeing play in modern use the scry mechanic. So yeah, that's tough. Yeah, you know, you hate to see it. Like whatever happened to Opt? We just don't play Opt anymore. No, don't play Serum anymore. No. So am I gonna put those cards in to try to make Galadriel better, or am I gonna play a bunch of Ring Temptation cards to make Galadriel better? Like I would do it. I I really would. But Galadriel is just not cheap enough to make me want to do that. Yeah, and and even little changes. Like if she was a three four, like Endurance. Yeah. If she had Flash, like Endurance. Uh, man yeah tough sell uh would be acceptable in pioneer that's what i have to say about a lot of this set <laughs> would be acceptable in standard what <laughs> <laughs> let's okay we'll, we'll 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 slide out of the saddle there sally let's not uh no, no, no but you, you, you know like, you're 100 you're 100 right in terms of this card you're 100 right um i think there's probably not just this card though like can you name Five cards in the set that would not be suitable for standard? No. But Oko was apparently suitable for standard, so... <laughs> so I, I asked David about this, because he's traveling right now. He's mm -hmm. up in, in Ireland. And he said his only comment on Lord of the Rings is that they were cowards for not making it standard legal, right? Like, they designed a sweet set with all these cool, flavorful cards. They could have just made it standard legal. It's not overpowered for standard. It's not even overpowered for Pioneer. There's not one card that would break that format. So there's, it's, it's having a hard time breaking into modern. Okay. So now I need to know, like, this is my second wish mm -hmm. if I'm on my mm -hmm. deathbed. No, I've sure, sure. Spent, yeah. Make spent. two wishes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have three wishes for my genie lamp. I've already spent one asking aspiring spike about that lingering souls card. <laughs> my second wish is I want to be in the room where they decided which formats this set will be legal in. And I want to know what happened when someone proposed making the standard legal. I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't was know. I like, don't know who shot it down. I don't know who shot it down as being like a like a new like Pioneer Horizons, where they're like, okay, we've got the idea that we can create sets that are modern and then in older Eternal formats. Why don't we use Lord of the Rings? It's a big IP. Why don't we use that as the new launching point for? We will create some products that are Pioneer and further older eternal facts uh formats i don't know what to tell you i someone was shot down and they decided to be cowards and all i can hope is that in the future that will not be the case because it just doesn't need to be it just doesn't need to be this way i mean i'm sure they didn't want to devote the testing hours to it 
from their R&D team. That's part of it. And they also like didn't want to get trolled if it turned out that a couple cars from the set were too good. Yeah, the the on the flip side, I would like to make the argument that they did that just by undershooting so hard that nothing in the set could possibly be playable. Uh, to move on to a lot of these cards, I mean, just every c- creature, it seems like every creature that is almost remotely playable is a legend. It's like mm-hmm. if I could play four of this and have multiple in play at a time, it might be playable in Pioneer. And it's not. And also it's legendary. Like they undershot so hard. Uh Alright, one last three drop. Mm-hmm. Sauron's Ransom, one blue-black instant. Choose an opponent. They look at the top four cards of your library and separate them into a face-down pile and a face-up pile. You put one pile into your hand, the rest into your graveyard, then the ring tempts you. So the closest comparison for this, I don't remember what it's called, but it costs three and a blue. So this is one mana cheaper, mm-hmm. and you get a free ring temptation. Does that do anything for you? Well, the thing about this card... I've been ruined on this card and cards like it because I remember the last time there was a card similar to this. It was, I want to say three and a black instant. And then uh, Emmy, our good friend, Moored to Light, immediately game theory explained it, that there was no game to it and there was always a correct answer and you just do this thing. Now, I think it was in that case, you didn't choose what the piles were. In this case, your opponent does. So maybe that, is an argument um the fact that it's an instant makes me more interested in it um the fact that the uh face down pile goes into your graveyard like that could be something for reanimator style strategies um my feeling is that this is not good enough uh but time may tell now I have to know what that card was called. Oh gosh, I'm not going to be able to remember what it was. I want to say it was in Dominary United. Um, I'll take a look for it. The one I'm thinking of was from like Eldritch Moon. Yeah, could have been. It was three in a blue instant, and it was like a powered down factor fiction. Uh, I want to say the one I was I'm thinking of was definitely black. Um, oh no, no, my card was different. Okay, forget the card. The card I'm talking about is not a real thing. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll forget do. that one. Um, maybe there was like a Demir Legend that cost five that when it came in, it did the, some tr- version of this trigger. <sighs> the one I'm thinking of was definitely an instant. Um, but Yeah, yours was called like Spoils. Oh gosh, we're just blowing this completely. <laughs> well, that's, that's fine. Uh, we'll throw that on the editor and they'll have to do a bunch of work <laughs> cutting all this nonsense out the heck was that card you know exactly what i'm talking about right i do yeah i do yeah yeah wish 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 uh emmy was here to let us know what that was uh or all the wonderful people in our patreon who will definitely be screaming at their podcast device uh as they listen to it going like how do you not remember the card all right sauron's ransom three mana manufacturer fiction you get a ring temptation yeah yeah there you go it's probably not as good as shadow prophecy but right yeah there there it is (laughs) And with that, we move on to the fours. All right. We better be starting to get something somewhat impressive. So starting up, we've got Radagast the Brown, uh, well known from his debut in the Hobbit franchise. Uh, So for two green green, we get a legendary creature avatar wizard. 
Whenever Radagast the Brown or another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, look at the top X cards of your library where X is that creature's mana value. You may reveal a creature that doesn't share a creature type with the creature uh, with a creature you control. Put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So this is encouraging a very strange kind of build around where you make sure that no um, that multiple creatures in your deck do not share the same creature type. Additionally, you want to look at a large value of X. So you want uh, X value creatures um, that uh, you, you can you can dig deep with your X value creature that doesn't share a creature type. Okay, so Radagast is actually good. Uh, one of the few cards that we can say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the main thing is that he has an ETB. He triggers on himself. Radagast will replace itself by looking four deep. That's good enough to probably find a creature. Now, if you want to really go off with Radagast, your best bet is the Evoke Elementals. And I hate to say it because <laughs> it's kind of like the boring answer, but whenever there's something that you need to do more efficiently than you should be able to do, Get your solitudes, get your endurances, and the way that you would stack that is you would stack it so that after evoking your solitude, you first sacrifice a solitude so that it's no longer in play. Then you resolve Radagast's trigger, you get to look at the top five, you can find another solitude or another elemental. Is that game-breaking? No, but it's, you know, it's like sort of good. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it comes back to like the new Nissa had very much the same kind of thing where it's like, oh, but it finds elementals, so it's playable. Right. Yeah. All right. Next up, King of the Oathbreakers. King of the Oathbreakers. Okay, there's a Twitter handle for anyone who's like a big Oathbreaker enthusiast and wants to <laughs> jump in on that little ready-made persona for you. Oh, yeah. King of the Oathbreakers, two white black legendary creature, Spirit Noble, 3 3 flying. Whenever a King of the Oathbreakers or another spirit you control becomes the target of a spell, it phases out. Whenever a King of the Oathbreakers or another spirit you control phases in, you create a tapped 1 1 white spirit creature token with flying. So if I'm reading this right, you just can't kill my spirits anymore, not with targeting. And in fact, every time you do that, I just get more spirits. Yeah, that doesn't seem too bad. But on the flip side, you can't target uh, anything with anything, right? You won't be able to enchant them. You won't be able to give them any bonuses. Not that I'm saying you would put that in the same deck, but it's it's interesting to note. But you kind of do get a bonus, right? You get you get a bonus spirit when, when the thing comes back in. Like, I mean, not- you do, but on any spell that you would want to target on your own creatures, but that's certainly not a good enough payoff. Now, maybe you get to use uh, removal spells that you would not be able to use otherwise in a particular matchup um, by targeting your own creatures and getting tokens. Maybe that's something. Yeah, so I think probably this card is just too expensive to actually use, but it is neat. Um, Agreed. It's neat. The fact that it's missing flash is definitely a big fail uh, for me. Um, not that the trigger would work well that way, but just the fact that it's like a four mana, three, three, quote unquote, Lord. It gives a bonus to all your spirits that is powerful. Uh, but at four mana, that's a tough ask. because You can't even collect a company into it. All right, Zach, I think that's it for the fours. Okay. 
moving on to the fives. So uh, moving up to the five drops, we've got a question mark on the doors of Durin. So this is three green red for a legendary artifact. Um, whenever you attack, scry two. Then you may reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, put it onto the battlefield, tap and attacking. Holy crap. Until your next turn, it gains trample if you control a dwarf and hex proof if you control an elf. Whoa. Um, I did not imagine that the Doors of Durin would be a green-red legendary artifact. Um, this is not an unpowerful effect. The Scry 2 is actually a really nice bonus because I could see this card being printed without that part and I could see this card being printed without the Trample if you control a Dwarf and Hexproof if you control an Elf. The first thing that makes me think of is just playing a Changeling deck so it always gets both. Um, although the Hexproof part really doesn't matter that much to me. So what what are we doing with this? I mean, you don't get an attack trigger off of the thing that you flip in. So if you flip in one of the giant Eldrazi that has an Annihilator trigger, that's just not going to happen this turn. So I guess we're looking for things with big power? So it took me several reads of this card to actually notice that you keep the creature. Yeah, doesn't sacrifice, doesn't exile. It's not even drawing a card. It's drawing a card, putting into play for free attacking. So it's a huge burst of card advantage and mana and you scry it. So you got card selection. It happens whenever you attack. So it's actually kind of hard for them to stop this from triggering. If you have like two creatures in play, you just play this. They can't kill both creatures. You're going to get you're going to get at least one trigger here. So then is the question of what, what happens next, right? <laughs> Do you have something good in your top two cards? Are you trying to like get something very exciting into play? Or are you just happy to get anything? Maybe it's time to cycle or troll of cause of doom and get that, which is cottage to make sure we really get the creature. Yeah, you want. That, that is a good way to set this up. And, and on the flip side, uh, while you don't get an attack trigger, which most of the biggest creatures in uh, modern that you're used to reanimating give you, you do get any kind of like when it dam deals damage to a player trigger, you can, you could just activate it. Like this could f flip into a gristle brand, no problem. And then you're, you're golden world spine worm hit for 15, like 15, 15 trample. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know about this one. If you are playing a bunch of creatures, like some kind of red, like there was a, for a while, there was like a few different popular red, green Goryo's Vengeance, not Goryo's Vengeance, through the Breach decks. And in those decks, you usually had a bunch of like mana elves just like sitting around doing nothing, Arbor Elves and, and et cetera. Um, and those can attack. So they would be able to trigger something like this consistently. Um, so... It, Certainly powerful. Pleasant surprise. Yeah. Doors of Durin. Yeah. That's one of my favorite scenes from the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. The way, that, the way that Gandalf says the password, like, he sounds just like a kid who spent, you know, half a semester study abroad studying Elvish and happy to <laughs> learn, learn one phrase. Melon. Melon. I mean, one, one of my favorite things was about it was like that uh, reminiscence of Dungeons and Dragons sessions where the dungeon master would give your party like an obvious riddle or so they thought. <laughs> and you're just like sitting around for like 45 minutes trying to figure out the answer. Like, because in, in the movie, of course it, it's like <laughs> they get there in the afternoon. And then by the time he figures it out, it's, it's like well into the evening. Like, like clearly That's they've right. been there for hours. They just can't figure it out. 
Um, that's good stuff. Yeah. And speaking of good stuff that's world building, uh, next up we have a saga uh, there and back again for three red red. Um, so chapter one, up to one target creature can't block for as long as you control there and back again. The ring tempts you. Chapter two, search your library for a mountain card, put it onto the battlefield, and then shuffle. And chapter three, create Smaug, a legendary 6-6 red dragon creature token with flying, haste, and when this creature dies, create 14 treasure tokens. Unreal. What? That's amazing. Why 14? Is that in some way significant? I want to say there's 21 rings in Lord of the Rings. So it, uh, what? <sighs> so I believe the answer is that 14 dwarven 14, kings, 14 members of the party that divided ah, up treasure. Okay, so there was got it, got it, got it. and 13 other shareholders. Well, I think it's cut. yeah, it's like 12 dwarves, Gandalf, and Bilbo. Oh, Gandalf got a cut too. I think so, but he didn't go for free. Okay. Come on now. <laughs> if you're good at something never do it for that's free, right. right so 12 dwarves was it 12 dwarves or 13 dwarves i think it's 12 dwarves and, and gandalf and and uh, frodo or uh, bilbo all right so they chop up smog and get 14 treasures out of him that's just such a funny thing to read yeah that's that's unreal kudos to the designers for like making smog awesome yeah absolutely i've come to expect to be disappointed by dragons but this is one of the most awesome lines of text i've seen also, kudos to them for like hiding it behind this awful saga. Like, <laughs> yeah, like up I to one smog. creature can't block for as long as you control <laughs> this saga. The ring tempts you. Like, what a chapter one! That is rough. We once played. <laughs> it was like a four mana saga that did like a pyroclasm on the first mm-hmm. chapter, and that was almost playable. Um, and then it like gave you a four four dragon. It was not yeah, that's elder elder dragon war oh of that's... course there we go thank you elder dragon war it was it was pretty good it wasn't bad um but it was so much better than this and woof yeah that one had read ahead like if you ever needed to add read ahead to any card like this, this oh one, man like, my god these first two chapters do almost nothing it's shockingly bad but you can't put read ahead on this it's way too powerful you can't just have a five <laughs> mana six six flying creature token with whenever this creature dies gain 14 treasure tokens I, I i actually firmly believe that that creature if that was printed as a creature five mana six six flying haste when it dies you get 14 treasure tokens that seems really messed up that seems like a messed up magic card i don't think they could print that so in this case the fact that you don't have read ahead is it allows the card to be as awesome as, as it is. That also means it's probably not going to see any play, but it is awesome. Right. Just in terms of purely linguistics, awesome. like it's like, whoa, sweet. Super awesome. Yeah. Art is good, too. Yeah. Art good, too. Good art. So the last card on our agenda here is not playable, and it's also not actually a card. It is two cards <laughs> talking about the balrog and there's two balrogs in the set and there's a third balrog in the commander set and i just want to know zach like what is the deal with so many balrogs like why are there three balrogs? What's, the, what's what's the deal with so many samwises i i've seen i want to say there's four uh golems in the set I th- there are yeah there's four it's wild to me that like I, listen in terms of magic, 
the game that this is built in. When they did the Brothers War, the finally, finally telling the tale of one of the most impactful uh, world building things that had never truly been told properly in terms of telling the story of Urza and Mishra, which took place over like 70 years, they printed three of each of them. The Balrog exists for one scene in either the book or the movie and got three cards. And I get it. Pop culture and film and nerd culture and etc. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get that he's a big deal. I don't get it. He's not this big. That's what I'm saying. He's not this big a deal. Because when they did the D&D set, right, they didn't do like four different versions of any of their gods. In fact, they barely touched on a lot of the stuff that goes into D&D. So... I don't know what to tell you, and I, d- I certainly don't know what to tell you about not like neither of the cards that are being printed into modern being competitive or interesting in any particular way. Yeah, so that's part of it. Like, couldn't you have made one of these cards good? Right. Or at least intriguing. Right. And no, they're, they're both terrible. But don't you feel like this makes the Balrog less cool? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> less special? Like, how absolutely. many times did you hear us joking about, oh, what's the Balrog going to do? Because I just imagine there would be one epic the Balrog. There's not like three the One Rings in the sense. No, and like, and 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 the One Ring, like Frodo's favorite trinket. But to your ring, to your credit, Bilbo's necklace. <laughs> to your credit, to your point, in the D D set, they did the Terrasque, and it was garbage. Okay. It wasn't even. It wasn't even that powerful if you literally paid the cost of entry. And this is the same. I think... Okay, so they, they gave themselves three chances to make a good ball rogue, and they missed on all three. I guess so. I, <laughs> what the heck? All I can say is, if there are people listening to this who are excited about this, please be excited about this. Please enjoy these cards. Um, and honestly, I'm a little bit happy that we're not going to see... Um, modern have the same thing that uh legacy has had happen in certain ways where it's like oh you can legitimately play cards from the walking dead secret lair which is a limited print run and will never be like made ever again in theory i'm mostly glad that i'm not going to be staring down a balrog i'm mostly glad that there's not going to be too many playable smeagles or golems or frodo's so on one hand, yes, they were cowards not to make the standard playable because it doesn't seem to be playable in any constructed format. So you might as well make it standard playable to have as many people as possible at least want to buy it, at least interested in buying it. Um, because I, for one, for the most part, am not. Yeah, a year from now, will we be playing any of these cards? Um, there. The, the thing is, and I think Emmy and I touched this on our previous episode, um, a lot of the cards that are playable uh, are not explicitly linked to Lord of the Rings. I forget the, mm. the name of the white remand um, or yes, the delighted the halfling uh, mm. or stern. What is it? Stern lesson. Yeah. All, Orcish bowmasters. Right. Orcish bowmasters. Um, the only one that's actually close is the stone of Erich, but luckily <laughs> nobody remembers what that was. So I think they were fairly careful about making the mostly playable cards Lord of the Rings agnostic. And that's okay. That's okay. I don't get the point of this set. I really don't. It's one of those things where it's like, wow, they, I mean, they did it, but to what end? But, uh, 
If you do love it, that's awesome. And I hope you uh, tweet at us or me particularly or come into my stream and tell me why. Because, you know, it's it's cool to have the things you love celebrated. I think one of my favorite memories of Magic ever was when the set Amonkhet came out. I was showing some of the cards to my friend who doesn't play Magic. Uh, and one of her favorite movies of all time was the Mummy franchise with Be- Brendan Fraser. And the fact that there were cards called cartouches, I literally saw this person's eyes light up because they were just like, cartouche, I remember that. And that links to this thing that I liked. And this is in this Egyptian set. I'm now interested and excited about magic. And that's a cool thing, right? And this can just be that. It doesn't have to be more than that. Yeah, if you disagree with Zach's take, feel free to come up to him at the next uh, face-to-face <laughs> event and punch him in the face, uh, kick him in the nuts, preferably, kick him in the Preferably teeth. the stomach, please, please, please. Give me, <laughs> take his lunch money. <laughs> give me the Houdini. <laughs> he wants you to do it. He wants somebody to do this to him. <laughs> oh, Dan, um, <laughs> I, we have a full spoiler, and I believe we've talked about every card that, uh, as a group, mm-hmm. we think is worth talking about. I think so. I think uh, there is one random combo that Mord pointed out yesterday that was like, okay, you need a Boromir and that Radadrabic of Urborg that somehow goes infinite. Okay. But um, yeah, outside of like weird stuff like that, I think we've covered everything. Yeah. Um, so highlights are Stern Lesson, the White Remands, and Samwise, I believe, for the most part. Of these cards, I expect to make some kind of impact in Constructed, and many of the other ones we talked about certainly have a shot. Stone of Eric, uh, the Moria Marauder, and the, some of the other ones we mentioned. Um, yeah, for me, I think the one ring, I yep, think yep, Rosie Cotton, ring. yep, <laughs> Rosie Cotton and the one ring. These are probably the two lasting cards from the set. Uh, maybe the wizard flame thing. We just talked yep, about flame of honor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's it. Yeah. All right. Well, the set's coming out like now, so, uh, no time like the present to start brewing and uh, see what these cards can do. Yeah, as of this recording date, it's the twelfth, uh, and this is coming out what, like the fifteenth, the seventeenth, something. It's really soon, really, really soon. Yeah, probably today. Wherever today <laughs> yeah, is. When you're listening to this podcast, it's probably out already. So uh, head to stores, and you might just open up a, the copy. The one of one, one ring, and uh, do whatever you want with that. My recommendation is sell that for over a million dollars. Don't don't lowball yourself. Get yourself a lawyer. Uh, work with an auction house. Do whatever it takes. Uh, get out there. <laughs> well said. All right, Zach. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me back, Dan. I'm always happy to be here. All right. We'll see you again soon. Bye. This concludes our Brewer's Guide to Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle-Earth. If you enjoyed this program, you can join the Faithless family at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing, where your pledge helps us bring you freshly brewed episodes every week and give you access to our Discord community, plus bonus content, Faithless Brewing merchandise, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.